Hello and welcome to another Scotswayhe podcast. And I'm delighted to be joined now by Stuart Smith, who's going to talk about the multimedia project Jazz at the Third Eye, uh, which begins on October the 22nd. Uh, you can see it on the CCA's website, but we're going to hear much more about it right now. So first of all, hello, Stuart. Hello, Alistair, and hello, listeners. Absolutely. Um, um, the question I'm going to begin with is, what can you tell us about jazz at the third eye? But I know it's going to involve a lengthy answer because I've already seen <laughs> exactly what's going on. So if you could take us through a kind of guided tour of what's going to happen. Okay, so first of all, the third eye centre is the prior incarnation of the CCA Centre for Contemporary Arts in Glasgow. Um, it opened in 1975 uh, until 1991 when it kind of then became the CCA. Um, and its founding director was uh, Tom McGrath, who was a playwright, poet, jazz musician. He'd been editor of International Times, at the underground newspaper in London in the 60s. Um, so he's a really fascinating character. Um, and jazz was a big part of the programming there. Um, they had a fair bit of music, a lot of folk music as well, mm -hmm. classical music. Um, and a few years ago, there was a big project to called the Glasgow Miracle, um, where they digitised the video archive. So Tom McGrath and his team were early pioneers of video technology, um, and that's left. That's mean we've been left with a fantastic archive of events at the CCA and other uh, Glasgow venues. Um, so I, when I saw the exhibition, I think it was about 2012-13. Right. Um, that really caught my imagination. They showed the videos at the CCA, and they also showed some like flyers for events that had been there photographs and so on and one of the videos that uh, really struck me was of the Brotherhood of Breath the great South African British big band um, one of my favorites absolutely glorious music and but the first 15 17 minutes or so are of a local group called birth and um, that was quite mysterious for a while because they put the video up and you know, the the researchers had only found out so much um, and people gradually started posting on it saying oh this is this is birth and that so and so and drum so and so right. uh, on bass and so on so fast forward a couple of years uh, i interviewed george lyle the late great george lyle yeah. um legend of scottish music great bass player um he was a stalwart of glasgow improvisers orchestra he did a lot of work with um Fritz Welch in his latter years and he was in a band with David Keenan of course uh, mm -hmm. tight meat yeah. um so so yeah a great guy I, he his last what turned out to sadly be his last gig at Counterflows Festival uh, I interviewed ahead of that and um uh, he was a totally amazing guy like really inspirational um my favorite story about him is I went around to his flat to interview him and just a really cool flat full of amazing like records and musical instruments and he went to make a coffee and I was just setting up my stuff and I start hearing uh, and it's like that's that's a real drum he's not just tapping on the kitchen surface mm -hmm. uh, so I went through and had a look and he's got a whole conga drum <laughs> set by the window in the kitchen he's like yeah man I just just like to have a little jam and I'm waiting for the kettle to boil and it's just like that's Brilliant. Oh, beautiful life goals to have a conga yeah. in the kitchen <laughs> one day Absolutely. <laughs> I, I washed the dishes waiting for the thing to, but that's that's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he was just fantastic. And I mentioned that video and he's like, oh, that's me. That's my band. Um, and it's Nick Weston on on drums. And he was, 
Uh, Nick Weston again passed away just a couple of years ago as well. Um, but they formed a trio with Tom McGrath, uh, and they had various kind of groups with other people coming in, but they were kind of the core of Tom McGrath's groups over the years. Um, and they played the third eye a few times, um, as I've discovered. But maybe I'm kind of getting away from what the, the project actually is um, with all this backstory. But yeah, in short, speaking to George got me really interested in that whole 70s scene, um, yeah. digging up and seeing how the connections to the present as well. Like some of the musicians are still around. Sadly, quite a few are no longer with us, but um, the, some people have... Uh, more kind of mainstream jazz or some people went off into all sorts of different fields like theatre or film um, other ones became kind of experimental music stalwarts um, and um, like like George so um, yeah I thought I got really interested in trying to unpack that history and again another year or so later there was a, dis a discussion page I think it was on Corey Mwamba who now presents Radio 3 Right. Um, Freeness show uh, with music show and uh, he was asking about that video I think or, or one of the other videos from that archive and somebody started saying well I've got a bunch of documents uh, all my papers from those gigs back in the day and I kind of cheekily jumped in and said oh <laughs> tell me more <laughs> and then that kind of led me to getting a loan of this guy Edward Kitchen he gave me a loan of his flyers for all the jazz gigs he went to in Glasgow uh, in the 70s and early 80s. So that was an amazing resource. Yeah, I, I was able to get a huge amount of information from them. Um, so, and I also kind of cross-reference it with the what's in the, uh, the Third Eye archive. So if you go to the Glasgow Miracle website, there's a timeline. Um, yeah. And as I found out, that's based on their own kind of accounts and records um, of gigs that happened there. Um, so what happened was in... 73 um platform was founded which was a kind of scottish uh arts council funded jazz organization um the first of its kind really um before that all the kind of music funding went to classical music and opera yes. um so this is the first kind of uh instance of them really taking jazz seriously um and so platform kind of operated as kind of relatively autonomous city-based um chapters as it were uh, well, they'd collaborate with sorting out tours and so on, um, but they put on loads of great gigs um, at, at, the, at the Third Eye and other or venues. And so Third Eye was certainly the kind of main hub, particularly right. um, at the time. Licensing laws in Glasgow were really bad, so for li live music was a real pain to try and do in pubs and so on. And um, so yeah, Third Eye I think really became a real hub. Um, a lot of platform volunteers. Um, who helped out with the shows um there's a real kind of community feel to it um obviously people who are fans of the music getting involved and doing all sorts you get a platform membership get get kind of discounted tickets I and mean, it's like the prices now it's just 30p for a gig yeah. and something like that kind of thing um but the yeah there's a whole range of amazing stuff came through um the third eye and the other venues so yeah. um so American musicians like Roscoe Mitchell, David Murray, um, Archie Shepp, British uh, musicians like uh, Kenny Wheeler, Trevor Watts, John Stevens, um, and a lot of the Scottish musicians as well, a few Europeans as well, Eberhard Weber, Peter Brotsman, um, and as, as I said, a lot of the South African musicians as well, the exiled South Africans, 
Johnny Diani, um, whose album Abizo is the only, apart from Ivor Cutler's Life in a Scottish Sitting Room, is the only commercially available album recorded at the, th- the Third Eye. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so, and that's a great record, you can still get it. Um, so yeah, all that really ca- captured my imagination, just like all this amazing stuff that happened um, before I was born. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, the... Yeah, so the kind of project kind of grew and grew. Um, I, I wrote a big article for The Wire mm-hmm. in 2019 um, that put together a lot of that research and I interviewed a few more folk who were around, um, like Alan Tall, who, who's an actor and folk guitarist, um, but he'd been involved in that scene. He'd uh, he'd accompanied Alan Ginsberg when he uh, Tom McGrath brought him to Glasgow in 1973. He was roped in to play the guitar along to Alan Ginsberg, and you can watch that video uh, in the archive. Uh, the original archive um he also kind of took up the saxophone uh, and started playing with various people I interviewed tony gorman who came along slightly later and um, played with tom McGrath's band maybe in sort of late 70s early 80s uh, he moved to australia um in the late 80s um, and he's still playing um uh, who else jim vincent pianist again he comes along slightly later so there's that kind of thing of you get a sense of a kind of core group of um the more kind of avant-garde jazzers around Tom McGrath uh, and George Lyle, Nick Weston, and there's all these kind of nice stories about how they would get the younger guys into into the music and introduce them to all kinds of records and artists. Um, of course, you had a kind of homegrown scene as well, more kind of modern jazz and big band jazz, swing jazz, um, trad jazz. So that was all going on as well. Um, and, and those musicians kind of plugged into the third eye to some extent as well. There seemed to be quite a lot of crossover um, people kind of up for doing different things um, a good, really good healthy healthy approach I think well that, that was one of the things I thought about when uh, I knew we were going to chat there are a few things to unpick there because I know Tom McGrath I think most people probably know him best as a playwright and a poet mm. I didn't realize he was so such a jazz man and, 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 mm. and, and central to that thing also um, the Third Eye really was one of the few cultural hubs in Glasgow at the time. So I've right, yeah. seen pictures of uh, Alistair Gray standing beside Billy Connolly and, you know, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. as you say, Alan Ginsberg and, uh, and, and Tom Leonard and all these, these mm-hmm. names that we, we kind of, most of us know, know so well. So it might be worth even putting Glasgow into, this was in the early 70s. Yeah, yeah, Glasgow was really kind mm-hmm. of almost being literally ripped apart, you know, you know yeah. Slums were being cleared, and uh, uh, you know it was it was in a, a poor state. So mm-hmm. it was against this backdrop that this little exciting hub was thriving. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you can kind of trace some of it back to late sixties. Um, so Tom McGrath moves back to Glasgow in the late sixties um, from from London. Um, um, he had a pretty heavy heroin habit. He picked up hanging out with Alexander Trockey and so on. In the in the sixties, so um, he yeah came back to Glasgow, cleaned up, went went to university, and studied English and drama, and I think that by that point he was already in maybe his late twenties, which to like younger guys who are in their early twenties seemed like a huge gap at that you know particularly that time. Uh, so I interviewed Alan Spence, uh, who was mm-hmm. one of his, his his good friends at the time, and um, I think he was excited by meeting all these younger uh, writers and musicians and poets and. So Tom McGrath's flat in Bank Street became a hub 
um, just a hangout. A lot of people just hanging out, listening to records, talking about ideas. Um, and he kind of started to form a, a kind of collective called uh, The Other People. Yeah. And they kind of did a performance um, kind of inspired by Grotowski's uh, Theatre Pavera, Poor Theatre, um, where you're kind of not using any props and you're trying to kind of have a very improvisational approach and a very direct experience with the audience. Um, so they took their kind of show to the Edinburgh Festival, I think in 1969. Um, right. And that involved a kind of a who's who of future uh, luminaries, um, Tom Leonard, Alan Spence, um, uh, Alan Tall, Jim Torrance, uh, um, um, oh dear, uh, Gene Milton, um, a poet as well. Um, so yeah, a lot of these figures kind of moving around in that scene. There was, and they would do this kind of improvisatory performance theater with bits of music and in there, uh, and they'd also do other kind of events they did a, a poetry reading in um outside um, what's now goma yeah um they just kind of turned up and started reading their poems like kind of tom mcgrath on a soapbox kind of thing so so there's that kind of background he also had a kind of more kind of fine arts world starting to merge with the compass gallery um so sort of by the early 70s things are there's definitely an attempt to kind of make things happen because there's all that story of glasgow's the place you left yes um and the difference was maybe people like Edwin Morgan and so and Alistair Gray and so on, but they kind of stuck around um, and tried to make things happen. Um, so, and, and Tom McGrath's very much part of that as well. So, yeah, kind of fast forward, 1973, Tom McGrath gets a job as a Glasgow director of the Scottish Arts Council. And apparently he didn't, he just, he, th- he felt he had to apply, but he, he felt he had no chance. Right. Because he didn't have a kind of arts admin background. But he obviously had the, the vision he had the interest and in, and in the energy and, and sort of wide-ranging interests um and a very kind of strong sense of cultural democracy involved mm-hmm. in the community um he wanted to bring he didn't want to patronize audiences he thought people there's a lovely phrase he uses put in place and let it happen yeah um and yeah he, he it was very a kind of avant-garde populism i think was, was neil cooper uh, the journalist puts it yeah. um and so it means you can come back the third eye would do exhibitions on football um as well as um having cutting edge contemporary art and avant-garde music and so on yeah and it was a space that was um a for all i, I mean from what i i haven't spoken to people that used to go there um it was where you could you know um, see the the poets of the day or, or, or different uh, performance arts and all that, but mm-hmm. it was welcoming. You know, it's bang in the middle yeah. of Sucky Hall Street. You couldn't get more Glasgow right. than that, and yeah. it was a place yeah. where which did open as, as the CCA still does to this day. You kind know, of welcome you with open arms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so when they initially started working out of um, what had been the Society of Lady Artists building on Blythwood Square. So if you watch the videos of like Derek Bailey or Alan Ginsberg, Errol Burney and so on, they're all from there. Right. And uh, so they use that as a kind of hub and they produced a, a newsletter that started as a one sheet and then became this quite, uh, often quite elaborate publication. There was like a Edwin Morgan visual poem for yeah. one issue. Um, 
and so that was called Newspeak. And in that, they kind of it almost kind of worked as a kind of listings magazine. Uh, um, people could post ads to like, say wants to start a band, so that kind of thing. Um, and they'd have articles about their ideas about art. Um, their ideas about what to do with the the center. So so yeah, the it, Tom Grass' main kind of task was to open the uh, a multi art space, um, and he realised that Blythewood Square wasn't really suitable. It wasn't yeah. big enough. It wasn't. It was slightly too off the the main street. So they wanted something on a kind of main drag, um, public facing shop front. Uh, so they found this space, three hundred fifty, Sockeyall Street, a Greek Thompson building. Yeah, uh, and uh, secured that for a song, and uh, and the rest is history. Um, yeah, and in the meantime, Tom McGrath he did the murals project, um, which has been quite well documented now. Um, but that's where uh, people like um, John Byrne did uh, murals on the Gable Ends. Yeah, uh, and there's a video um, of the new on the Scottish News where Tom McGrath's sort of defending this from uh, a very kind of pucker BBC uh, newsreader. Um, saying this is a waste of public money and how do you justify this and it's like Tom Grass said well it doesn't cost that much and he uh, says exactly how much it costs said it's, uh, it's it gives work to local artists and and uh, it's something good for the community it brings attention to Glasgow um it's a win-win uh, quite right you know um Absolutely. but it's just a, a very clear sense of like he wants to bring art to the people but not in a patronizing way yes uh, or a paternalistic way it's um um listening to what people have got to say and letting them do stuff as well. Um, so yeah, that programming comes in with the, the third eye um, and sort of going through the archives and so on, you see a lot of, there's so many letters of people writing in just wanting to do stuff. I think it just, people had somewhere they could actually yeah. try and get their, their work shown uh, yeah. or, or their band to play. Um, it's, it must have you know really been exciting. I mean, I know like Francis McKee, the current director of the CCA, he said that the third eye gave people a reason to stay in Glasgow. Yeah. Um, so it was hugely significant space. Um, so there, I mean, there's, so that Glasgow Miracle Project did quite a big bit of work in terms of tracing that history and um, things like the exhibitions are well documented. Yeah. If you go through the archives, there's files for uh, most of those. Um, the music stuff is patchier. Um, so it makes it fun to, sort of dig through the archive to do that and um, but that's what I'd been wanting to do for a while um I'd had a look a couple of years ago at some of the stuff in the archive when they were first putting it in um but it was this this project uh, um was an opportunity to really go through that archive gather uh, gather stuff together uh, and then share it online uh, and show people what went on at the third eye uh, in terms of jazz and improvised music so now when you've got this archive that you've been working on and you say you're going to present it online, how uh, is that going to happen for people when they, they come to access it? Because there's a lot, isn't it? It's not just yeah. <laughs> stuff themselves. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so basically I think the idea is to fairly simple. We'll just be on the CCA website and we'll have lots of scans of documents um, from the Third Eye Archive and from other sources that have I've gathered together because we did a public call as well, which is still very much open. We're happy to have any stuff at any time. Um, so, um, so yeah, posters, ephemera, some of the paperwork, um, photographs, and there's also the, the video archive as well, um, the existing one. Um, there's also some uncatalogued material, which we're hoping right. 
we'll be able to share as well. Um, so yeah, it'll just be up on their website and people can click through um, whatever, we'll have it categorized and you can just click through. Um, but it would be, there must have been some of the early footage because video back then was just in its infancy, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, so that whole process, we're very lucky they survived. They were um, they were stored in the Glasgow Print Studio for quite a few years. Um, they'd been in the Mitchell and then the Print Studio. I can't quite remember the order, um, right. but then they were, with the funding they got in 2012, they they were able to digitize that collection. Um, so yeah, that's that's one big part of it. And then there's all the um, the material in the boxes, um, some of which they put up on the the Glasgow Miracle blog. Um, but yeah, I thought there was obviously my, my love is jazz and improvised music. I, you know, I'm a jazz writer for The Wire and various other places. Um, and so that side of things uh, excited me. I thought it'd be good to do something that was focused on that on that project uh, on that on that a project that was focused on that uh, that area, um, both as a way to show that there was a kind of thriving local scene, uh, but also Glasgow's plugged into international or, or UK-wide or European and international currents as well. Um, I mean, obviously there had been jazz uh, artists come to Glasgow uh, in the past, um, probably kind of in the dance halls and so on, quite a thriving um, dance band scene yeah uh, interwar and post-war um and a lot of famous missions came through that as well like um alex harvey for example was a yeah. trumpeter in a, a band um and you also had people in interwar you had coleridge good the great um british jamaican bass player he, he came to glasgow to study uh played in the dance bands in glasgow and then moved to london and um played on some of the most important british jazz records um, but joe harriet um so there's all that kind of story, um, quite a rich history, and obviously touring musicians coming through like Ellington and um, John Coltrane played the um, St Andrews Hall in yeah. uh, 1961. Um, so, so there was all that going on, um, but I think the local scene, it seemed, by the the 60s was kind of confined to sort of bars and hotels and so on. Yeah, um, and I think this gave people a chance to really. Um, and also the decline of the dance ba bands, uh, the dance halls, rock and roll kind of taking over, folk music taking over. Um, yeah. But this gave a jazz a chance to do something new and you had, you had kind of jazz rock bands like Head. Um, they played the Third Eye quite a lot. Um, you had sort of musicians around Tom McGrath, Nick Weston, George Lyle and so on. Tony Gorman later on forming a lot of bands. Um, so things, yeah really started to kind of kick off and it, um, and you can see the kind of roots of sort of the current jazz and improvised music scene uh, in that era, which is really exciting to me. You mentioned um, that a uh, platform and how that got mm. funding for the first time. I think it'd been classical music and maybe opera before that. How important do you think that was? Because it sounds as though, you know, that allowed this seem to kind of yeah. build yeah absolutely um and i mean the various branches of platform put on be slightly different things on there'd be things that didn't come to glasgow that were on at edinburgh or dundee yeah and vice versa but um the i suppose these things just depend on touring or who whoever's in the local group and what they're into 
uh, what they decide to get up. Um, but yeah, Glasgow certainly leaned towards some of the more uh, adventurous stuff. Um, and so you had people like Keith Tippett and all the kind of British progressive jazz and the free improvisation side of things. Um, you had a fair bit of that coming up to Glasgow. Um, and they used the places like the GFT. Uh, and before the Third Eye opened, there's a lot of kind of gigs that essentially are spiritually part of the Third Eye because they're in the um, and, and they're in the archive as well. But um, so one of the ones that I I love is uh, there's a season of avant-garde music in uh, 1973, and I got there's a flyers for that. And so they had um, Sonic Arts Union, who are not strictly jazz, but more kind of new music. Um, but it's like David Behrman, Alvin Lussier, all these amazing composers um, rocking up to like Bartek Borough Hall and yeah. doing electronic and tape pieces. Uh, amazing. Uh, they had Steve Lacey's quintet with Derek Bailey, John Stevens um, that, as part of that as well. Instant Composers Pool Orchestra from, from Holland were supposed to play, uh, but that got cancelled. Um, and then the other one they had is Ray Russell, uh, the British uh, guitarist who's kind of like yeah, kind of like if Jimi Hendrix made free jazz, kind of. Right. Um, um, one of the nice things I find about that is, so I found that fire and I was like, that's really cool. Um, and then when I was going through the the paperwork, expenditure expenditure sheets and so on, which normally kind of boring, yeah. but sometimes it's funny to it's kind of interesting to see what people got paid back in the day. But um, the thing that kind of stands out on the expenditure sheet, oh, your usual stuff. Then it says fire eating act twenty five pounds. It's like whoa. <laughs> There's a story. So suddenly, like, you know, this just another gig becomes, you know, something quite exciting. And I tried to get hold of Ray Russell and ask him about it. So I haven't heard back yet, but we'll, we'll see um, whether that was part of his regular act back then or one off. The joy, isn't it, of working on an archive? Yeah, you yeah. find it's in often in the unusual um bits of paper or and unfortunately you know it's going to be happening less and less as everything's digital but you know it, it is about finding the receipts that take you down a different mm. path than you thought you were yeah absolutely um so yeah so there's all that kind of cool stuff happening the other thing that emerges is from digging around in the archive is the or the great what ifs and the paths untaken yeah um so the one that absolutely blew my mind um so the cat not every single item in the catalog is on so there's a spreadsheet that tells you what's in each box, mm -hmm. um, but also it doesn't have every single thing. Um, so sometimes it's just like loose, um, like we'll say loose files and so or loose documents. Um, so anything like that, it's like that's worth a look, uh, and it certainly was. So, so there's one. I was just kind of going through a pile of stuff and I suddenly see before me a, a red uh, bound uh, um, booklet. Um, Carla Blay three four. A reduction. It's like wow, it's a Carla Blay score. So Carla Blay, great jazz composer. And uh, turn turn the page and inside there's a letter on Jazz Composers Orchestra Association headed newspaper, uh, headed uh, notepaper, um, and it's a letter from Carla Blay to Tom McGrath, talking about here's here's a copy of the score, um, and uh, if I'm in the country, I'll come. If you, uh, come up and help with rehearsals if you manage to get it together. Um, so it seems that Tom was interested in putting on performing Carla Blay's composition uh, and again she's offering to help out um, but it, it never came to be um, so who knows where I've, 
I haven't found any other letters that refer to it or if it went any further. Uh, but it also opens up the... Um, there's obviously an existing friendship there. Yeah. Because um, there's a familiarity to the to it. Um, and I'd, another thing that I'd come across in the archive was uh, there's an audio recording of the Tom McGrath trio. Uh, and it's undated, but, I'd, you know, probably from around that time, mid-70s. And yeah. they play a Carla Blay tune and he, he, refer, he makes reference to her passing through the third eye on her way to somewhere else. So for a long time, I was just like, what, what could this be? Uh-huh. When could that be? Because she didn't play Scotland as a headliner until um, the early 90s when she was featured artist or composer in residence at the at the jazz festival, Glasgow Jazz Festival. And there's a wee film of that and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of like Scottish jazz luminaries have now played in our, our big band, like Raymond right. MacDonald and, and so on. So, um, but I eventually cracked it. So I found out she played in, she toured with Jack Bruce in 1975. Nice. Um, and I saw so I looked Jack Bruce. That must be it. So I looked up Jack Bruce, Glasgow, nineteen seventy-five. He played the Apollo uh-huh. just a few months after the third eye opened. So I was like that, and she was in the band playing keyboards. So I was like, that's got to be it. So that's kind of um, I love this kind of detective work when you're yeah trying to piece all this stuff together. But um, it'd be fascinating to know where they maybe first met, or um, maybe one one of his trips to America because he's. He was quite pally with John McLaughlin because they shared a guru, Sri uh-huh. Chimnoy. So it's all this kind of, <laughs> all these uh, tangled webs. It's, Those it's were fantastic. the days when people shared gurus. I love yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, so the, yeah, because Sri Chimnoy was the guru to um, John McLaughlin and Carlos Santana um, and Tom McGrath and uh, George Lyle and some other guys got really into him um, and followed him for, for several years. So, and, and Alan Spence, the, the writer, still does. Yeah. So um, Yeah, of course. In fact, he runs. He and his wife run the Sri Chimnoy Center in in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. So, so there you go. <laughs> and you know that I was looking through um, some of the stuff you sent me, and there's a lots of, of big names, big jazz names who went through it. I'm just saying, but there's also some unusual names. And the one, the name of Karen Black, kind of jumped out to me. Oh yeah, this Karen Black. Oh, that, you know, yeah, from, yeah. Well, many Hollywood movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's in Nashville and Easy Rider, Five Easy yeah. Pieces, and so on. Yeah, that one blew my mind. So, and this isn't listed in the, it's, there's no record of it in any of the Third Eye stuff. So uh, this came purely from, I think it was George Burt, the guitarist, mentioned, uh, it's like, oh yes, I saw I saw Tom McGrath play a gig with Karen Black. And I'm like, what? <laughs> That's, he's like, oh, ask John Sampson about it. So it's like, okay, so who's this John Sampson? So he's a trumpeter. He does a lot of work in theatres, worked with, he has a kind of project long-running project with Caroline Duffy. Right. Um, so, yeah, he's a great trumpeter and also a Renaissance uh, wind specialist. Um, so he was in a band in the 70s with Robin Harper, the first Green MSP, right. doing kind of Renaissance folk music. And uh, Tom McGrath saw them at the Edinburgh Festival, it turns out, and um, invited the... He thought, oh, I'll have to get John to play a gig sometime. Um, so so yeah, John had amazing recall of the whole thing, um, and so it was a kind of jazz and poetry night, and um, yeah, Karen Black came up. I think she'd been in London. So again, that's one of the stories where where did they first meet? John seems to think it was when Tom went over one of his trips over to New York. Um, so um, she maybe be doing theatre in London and and came up to do this gig, and it was all you know very unassuming, no kind of star 
kind of Hollywood kind of airs and graces, just very like into it and up for doing this gig with some eccentric Scottish magicians. So, um, and the other thing they had is he's kept his kind of program or script or kind of visual yeah. score or graph tech score, you might call it, um, that Tom McGrath wrote for the musicians. So he's kind of divide. So really, it gives you an insight into the kind of. Again, we're going back to his kind of theatre side of things, the poetry yeah. side of things. He'd always done jazz and poetry, going back to like the early sixties, um, reading his poems a lot with the jazz backing, because he, he he loved like the Jack Kerouac records that are like that. Um, and there's a great tradition of all that, like Amiri Baraka with New York Art Quartet and so on. Um, and then, um, yeah, so they, but it seems mixed with his own kind of very humorous, um, kind of post 60s underground happening kind of vibes as well so um so basically uh, the sheet says something like uh, john samson trump crumhorn solo that was it so he got him to start with a crumhorn solo um uh, i love the idea of this renaissance instrument in the middle of a, a jazz gig um uh, and then it's something like band comes in plays a blues and b minor or something free blow then Tom reads such and such a poem, Karen reads such and such a poem, and then they do a bit where there's a uh, an anti-Nazi march, and apparently Tom McGrath would uh, march up and down the stage kind of going, nasty Nazis, nasty Nazis. Um, and so, yeah, it kind of continues like this from reading the script, um, a way of incorporating tunes, solos, free improvisation, poetry, kind of performance pieces, um, and it's all devised as this kind of whole performance so it's absolutely fascinating to to read that um sadly no recordings of it or anything or, uh, uh, but really just a few memories from from people but um i thought it's absolutely wonderful and it, it kind of yeah it's a kind of perfect third eye thing to happen as well that you know a hollywood actor could just pop by and and jam with, oh amazing, uh, with amazing. <laughs> think that, absolutely right um, but it sounds like the third eye uh, and the people around it was the kind of place that those kind of things uh, yeah. often happened, unexpected. Uh, yeah, know, yeah. Happened. Um, are you linking it to the modern jazz scene in any, in any way? Have you had people kind of um, approaching you who are playing now? Yeah, I mean, there's still people who maybe went to gigs. Um, there's still a few musicians from the scene who are still around. Yes. Um, playing. Um, I mentioned Head, for example. Uh, Lachlan McCall, the guitarist from from that group, he's still around. Um, so yeah, there are still a few folk around. Um, and then of course the next generation kind of come in. So a lot of people who who are now quite prominent, uh, who who would go to Third Eye when mm. they were younger, um, and and be inspired. Um, uh, so yeah, certainly to people like Ray McDonald and um, people from Geo. Uh, they'd all go along to the third eye and then I'd see all kinds of gigs um, and later on they end up playing there um, and then the CCA as well so so the, so there are these kind of direct links and obviously some of the some of the, George Lyle is the kind of he, he's the real kind of yeah um, direct link I suppose to the original kind of Glasgow free scene and then he became a kind of he became a stalwart of of, of Glasgow Improvisers Orchestra and um, and it's really beautiful that he was um, later in his life, he was able to play with amazing like musicians like George Lewis and Marlon Crispell. Um, and uh, I mean, back in the day, he would back up. He would be the kind of go-to guy yeah. um, to back up any visiting musicians who needed a pickup band. 
Um, so he, you know, he would back up all kinds of people like Trevor Watts and um, American musicians as well. Whether it was free or bop, he could play anything, you know. Um, and he ended up playing on the, the Young Adam soundtrack as well. Yeah. Um, so apparently David Byrne was so impressed. They just booked him for one session and then uh, David Byrne was so impressed. He's like, no, keep, keep him, keep him. <laughs> we need you for the whole thing. <laughs> like, um, so yeah, he was, he was a wonderful player and he's the kind of direct link, I suppose. Um, yeah. Uh, and he kept doing it, you know, um, I suppose other people move on to other things. Um, yes. But he was a, a lifer for sure. Well, I was going to say, did the ja prominence of jazz in in the uh, third eye and then the CCA, did that kind of diminish when Tom McGraw went off to do other things? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, well, part, I mean, I mean, and the platform was still running. Yeah. Without, I mean, he was one of the founding fathers of Glasgow Platform, but there were lots of other people like um, Jim Waugh um, and, uh, yeah, a few others who, who, who kept the thing, kept the show going, as it were. Um, there's always and new people coming through, and later on, people like uh, Keith Bruce in the 80s got more involved um uh, and then kind of in the late 80s platform kind of dissolved and became kind of uh part of a kind of bigger jazz scotland thing um and that then you had the emergence of the glasgow jazz festival um so so you can see that kind of where that transition goes um in terms of administration as well as the musicians um so yeah there's always people involved this stuff uh, Dundee platform for like Rob Adams again, journal another journalist. Yeah, uh, he was very much involved with the uh, platform Dundee. And there's an interesting interview with him on the, the Scottish Jars Archives uh, website, um, where he talks about a lot of the gigs they put on in Dundee, and it's amazing, you know, like, uh, really impressive. And there's a few things that didn't make it to Glasgow, but they got at Dundee, and it's like wow. Um, so, so yeah, there's all these kind of connections. Um, so I'd. Things actually didn't. In some ways, actually, things got more regular right. um, after Tom McGrath came because he moved away to become a full-time playwright, yeah. and Chris Carroll became the second director. And again, sadly, we just lost Chris Carroll recently. Um, um, so he was more of a fine arts guy than a music guy. But Platform were still booking lots of jazz, um, and I think the late seventies, early eighties have some of the strongest uh, programming at the Third Eye. It becomes, I think, it's kind of established itself as that space. Right. Uh, so they use it a lot. Um, and in addition to the kind of stuff that's actually listed, there were regular sessions in the bar um, that would be mostly local musicians playing. But you never know who people might have been passing through and drop by, you know. Um, so there's all this kind of undep documented stuff. Um, it would be amazing to try and find out more about. But the, yeah, so, so yeah, a lot of the most exciting stuff happens around then. Uh, and outside the third eye as well, Platform's really doing great work at, puts on Sunra at the Mitchell Theatre. Yeah, right. Um, I which mind blowing. Yeah. yeah um, and uh, all kinds of great stuff. And this was he um the third eye in the mid eighties gets used less. They used Henrywood Hall right. uh, for most of the platform shows. So things like they had things like Don Cherry, Cecil Taylor. Um, yeah. the Clyde the Clyde Cub Club got used a bit as well. Um so, so James Bud Ulmer played there apparently in the nineteen ninety. But with the advent of the Jazz Fest, Glasgow Jazz Festival, uh, for the first two or three of those, uh, they have a kind of free improvisation at the Third Eye right. um, section of the programming. Uh, it's very much going back to the original roots of Tom McGrath's mm -hmm. jazz programming, um, and there are some of the original musicians who came and played with Tom. Um, 
like Lord Coxill, for example, who, who played with Tom McGrath's trio, and they knew each other in Gla uh, London in the 60s. Um, yeah, Lord Coxill, great saxophonist, um, who's also kind of known from playing with Kevin Ayers. And, and there's also a famous clip of uh, Rufus Thomas on Ready, Steady, Go. And right. uh, it's uh, his pickup band includes uh, Lord Coxill on and saxophone. Um, so yeah, he's he was an amazing musician and came to Glasgow quite a lot over the years um, worked with Raymond McDonald. He recorded a few shows at later jazz festivals in the 90s, um, which Liam Stefani has put out on his Scatter label. Um, so yeah, the, they had a whole bunch of great stuff in the late 80s. Um, Keith Tippett, Louis Moholo, um, Maggie Nichols, um, Derek Bailey came back, um, and also you had John Zorn and Fred Frith in a duo. Uh, so some really amazing stuff as well the kind of first generation free improvisers and then newer ones as well and tab yeah. soren uh, who you know very rarely leaves new york these days um have, yeah fantastic it's interesting to you because i think in the mid 80s to late 80s the kind of reputation of the 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 third eye and then the cca was more about fine art it was you know a kind of mm. place for stephen conroy or Mm. Uh, you know, um, the, the kind of Glasgow boys, the second generation Glasgow boys painters were, you know, almost their kind of hub. So it's great to know that the music was still happening while, it's, you know, it had this reputation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, there's certainly plenty of great stuff going on at the Henrywood Hall. And it kind of, you can see that as a direct continuation. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, for whatever reason, they decided that was more, that became available. It was more suitable for some of the bigger gigs. Um, like Don Cherry or Cecil Taylor and so on. Um, so yeah. Um, but yeah, the I think the nice thing as well is once the once it changed hands to the CCA, again the, the CCA was more focused on fine art initially. Yes. Um, but when, when Graham McKenzie took over, um, he was very keen to bring the music back into it um, and kind of call back to that original adventurous music programming. So that's when he started putting on. Uh, events like uh, Free Radicals, mm -hmm. where again, some of those musicians who'd played Third Eye back in the day came to, as well as a whole new generation of players. Um, and uh, Subcurrents Festival that David Keenan co curated, all kinds of great stuff like that. So, um, and that, uh, of course, it's the home of uh, Glasgow Empire's Orchestra Festival. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's the strongest uh, link to the original Third Eye jazz programming, I'd say. And it, it makes me think um, when you're doing something like this, when you're working on a project like this, does it ever end? I mean, are you always looking <laughs> for another story or another, you know, oh, yeah. snippet? Oh, I don't think it'll ever end. <laughs> and that, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, no, no, absolutely. There's, a, there's always great stuff comes out. So, yeah, um, more and more. And hopefully the this project, project will lead to more people coming forward and um, sharing their memories and, and that, that that's wonderful you know um if it allows people to sort of remember those those times um uh and share that with other folk and that's that's fantastic so i think it would be worth saying exactly how people can uh, can view it is it from october the 22nd and then it's on the website is that yeah well, what, what we're doing is um so there's kind of two parts to the project so there's archival side of things yes um and that'll all be going online sort of um, from the 22nd, um, we'll kind of gradually put it all up um, over a couple of weeks. Uh, and that'll be tied to launch it. We're doing 
uh, a series of kind of TV shows or online gigs. Yeah. Um, uh, and part of that will be showing, there'll be some talks and some kind of mini documentaries uh, and some archival footage. Uh, but we're also going to, I've also commissioned new pieces yes. responding to the archive um, from uh, contemporary Glasgow based musicians and artists. So uh, I thought that was an exciting way of um, making the archive come alive, show that it's not just some purely historical thing, but it's always a living thing. Um, and Absolutely. it can inspire people in different ways. I mean, it's inspiring just to, to hear about it and uh, find out about what went on. And that kind of gives you ideas for um, what, what is possible. Um, but you can also use it to as a springboard for new work as well. So so that's what I've done. And um, I kind of showed, uh, I chose a bunch of musicians and basically said, here's what I've got. Yeah, right. what, what 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 takes your fancy? What what are you interested? And in? so so yeah, various people would say, "Oh, I like the look of that," you know, and and uh, I like great. Okay, so I'd send them what I had um, from the archive, and uh, it kind of developed from there. So we've been, I'm, I'm, they're starting to come in now. Um, some of them, a lot of them, are being produced at home, mm -hmm. um, but other ones, uh, when we had the opportunity, um, of course, with COVID, we weren't sure we'd be able to do it, but. Uh, we, we were able to get some folk into the, the theatre last week and record uh, some performances yeah. live. So um, so that was really exciting. And once that, you know, it definitely felt real once once we did that. So um, can you tell us who some of them are or is that... Uh... Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll run through the list. So we've got Richard Youngs, uh, we've got oh, Helena wow. Sell, mm -hmm. uh, Helena Sell uh, and Simone Wilson from uh, uh, Band. Um, James, what... Apparently it's a uh, crazy midi prog jazz, so I'm looking forward to that. And that's kind of inspired by John Zorn's performance in, in 1989. Uh, Donald Lindsay, the Piper, he's going to be doing a tribute to uh, some of the South African jazzers, and that's going to be beamed uh, directly from Ascension Island, where he's currently living. Wow! So, so <laughs> there you go. Um, um, we've got Tony Bevan, saxophonist, who who who's um, helped me a melting improv series has obviously sadly been absent over the last 18 months or so but it's finally coming back on october the second at the old hairdressers so so make sure you go to that folks um uh, we've got tam dean burn and una uh, mcglone uh doing a kind of bringing tom mcgrath's poetry to life and then una, una is playing bass um carly mckenzie is doing a piece inspired by a, there's an exhibition of graphic uh, scores in 1977 uh so she's doing a piece that's basically using the program for that as a graphic score as a kind of uh vocals and tapes and radio piece really great um a couple sessahi and uh diljit karbaku are doing a duo inspired by a flute and guitar duo inspired by law coxell and jerry fitzgerald they performed in 1976 at the third eye um and jerry fitzgerald is really interesting he was a Scottish guitarist, experimental guitarist, and kind of cult singer songwriter. And um, then we've got uh, Food People, which is uh, Greg Thomas, Leela Matsumoto, uh, and Matthew Hamblin. Uh, they're going to be doing a piece inspired by the Sound and Syntax Sound Poetry Festival uh, of 1979, um, which is one of the best documented events at, uh, in the archive. There's videos of pretty much all the performances. 
everything from Tom Leonard to Edwin Morgan to Jackson Macklow. Um, um, they're taking particular inspiration, as is Richard Jung's, uh, from Bob Cobbing's performance. Uh, it says Trio Habana, which uh, has David Toop and Paul Burwell playing wow. various instruments while he's uh, doing his sound poetry. Uh, so that's a fantastic video. Uh, so they're doing a piece that's kind of inspired by various performances at that. And I think that's good to show the links between um, free improvisation, experimental music and sound poetry. I mean, it's all, there's not ultimately that much difference in terms of the kind of sounds people like Maggie Nichols or Phil Minton make uh, and a sound poet like Bob Cobbing or yeah. only Chopin make. You know, it's all glossolalia and pulling apart language. Um, so we've got Fritz Welch and Armin Sturm doing a duo. So Fritz uh, had a duo with um, George Lyle. They played together a lot back in uh, back in the day, well a few years ago. Yeah. Um, in, in George's later days, uh, they would jam in George's living room. Um, so Fritz has some recordings of George playing piano. Um, so they're going to improvise around that uh, with drums and bass. So that's that's really exciting. Um, we've got Semi Wu and Lana Adcock have done a piece um, that's inspired by a a project of Graham Robb, who is a bass player in Head. Right. various other groups uh he did a kind of jazz and poetry suite it was in, or it was a settings of poems um called uh, i think over the hill and uh so they've kind of quite freely interpreted that and a really nice video piece they've done um and finally we've got uh, neil greg fulton who i thought it was important to have in there because he was he's formerly director of the edinburgh film festival mm-hmm. and a couple of years ago he put on a whole program of Tom McGrath uh, stuff. Um, he, he worked with Tom McGrath as a young actor uh, on play about Chalky. Right. And um, so they had, they were good friends, as was Tim, Tam Dean Byrne uh, with them, um, Tom McGrath. Um, so he, part of that program actually was uh, Tam Dean Byrne with the Scottish National Jazz Orchestra um, doing a jazz tribute to Tom McGrath. So again, in that Tam was reading some of the poems and sort of telling the story of Tom, Tom McGrath's life uh, while the orchestra played various tunes um so so what we got is a more kind of abstract uh, experimental version of that in some ways um but the and for but neil's doing something uh, a video piece so i'm not quite sure what uh, i'm looking forward to seeing what it will be but um maybe kind of reflecting on his uh his friendship with tom mcgrath and um so that i'm excited to see that yeah it must be a hugely <laughs> exciting time to have this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Come in. Well, the stuff's all kind of coming in now, so it's yeah. uh, it's great. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's it's been really exciting to do programming like this. It's the first time I've kind of I've programmed something like this, um, so it's been really exciting. Uh, and I've had a lot of great help from uh, my partners and mentors, uh, with the old police house and Tusk in Newcastle Gateshead. I did some stuff for their festival last year. Uh, it was all virtual. Um, and I think the way they programmed an online festival was really inspiring. Um, it showed how it's done. So they were basically using their um, engine, as it were, to um, program, to show the, the, the programming. Um, and it's been really great learning from them about the programming. So I want to give a big shout out to them. Um, and and also the CCA for all their, their help as well. So, but I think the idea is part of the thing was I was putting the funding application together was it was, you know, it was the height of COVID, yeah. deep in lockdown last autumn, winter. Um, 
and I put, you know, we we had no idea if the, we were able to, we'd be able to make a physical gig or not. So we yeah. kind of used that to our advantage and thought, right, well, let's just make it online, do it like what Tusk has done, um, and you can have some performances that will lend themselves to being kind of straightforward live performances, just a film of that. Other stuff can be more people record a piece and just do some weird art to accompany it. Um, that kind of thing. Very DIY, but very, you know, I suppose it closes one door, but also creates other opportunities. Um, and also it allows it to be a, mo a lot more accessible um, yes. and, and gets a much wider reach as well. Um, so it's not just people who can come to a gig in Glasgow, but people can see it all over the world. Yeah, I know, absolutely. Um, and it helps spread the word about the third eye and um, and I hope it, it's the artist, I think the artist has certainly got something out of doing it. Um, it's something unusual for them. Um, uh, gets them to try something different out. Um, so I think it's, uh, and I've been really blown away with what they've come up with. I mean, some people I, I kind of nudge them towards certain things because yeah. I thought that'll suit them. Um, but others just kind of, but even then it was still, you know, what they did with it was not yeah. necessarily what I was expecting. And sure. and that's that's great. That's the way it should be. Yeah, well, I, can, I, like, cannot wow. wait. <laughs> I, I cannot wait to see it. I'm really, really excited about it. Um, so Stuart, thank you so much. It's been lovely talking to you. And you, yeah. And we'll be back soon with someone completely different. Cheers.